couple weeks ago, we talked through Joshua chapter 7. And in Joshua chapter 7, we witnessed Israel's confidence to go right into Ai and face them in battle, only to discover that at great cost to themselves, Achan and his family had sinned against the Lord. Achan had seen things in Jericho that he coveted, things that the Lord said you cannot have, and he took them. He stole from the Lord, and his sin dramatically affected all of Israel. After the devastation of being defeated by Ai, because of Achan's sin, Joshua stands before the Lord and asks the Lord, why did you bring us out of Egypt for this? If, if this is what you had in mind, it would have been better if you just left us back there. Essentially implying, why did you let this happen? You know, I think that that question, why, is a question we all resonate with. When trouble comes into our lives, we often think or ask the question, why is this trouble in my life? If we learned anything from Joshua chapter 7, we learned that the answer to the question why is never because God is the problem. When trouble comes into my life, God is not the problem God is always the solution. In fact, God is the ultimate way that I will make it through any and all trouble in my life. Even when we understand that, we still sometimes wrestle with the question, why? And we talked a couple weeks ago about how there are really three answers to the question, why is there trouble in my life? One of those answers was, there's trouble in my life because of my own sin. And Achan's story was the story that detailed when there's trouble in my life because of my own sin, the best way for me to cling to God as the answer to my trouble is to immediately confess my sin and turn my life over to Him. There was another reason that I referenced for trouble in our lives and it's because there are times when trouble happens in our lives and our perspective on that trouble makes that trouble feel like trouble indeed but we only can see a very small window of our life and what feels like trouble in the moment if we could see what God sees we wouldn't call it the same kind of trouble and what we need to do is Hang on to the Lord long enough so that we see what He sees. And the thing we called trouble is really no trouble at all. I've had several people through the years who have lost their jobs for one reason or another. And in losing their jobs, they find themselves in trouble. And I cannot, I cannot 
describe to you the joy in those individuals' lives after they've given enough time for God to allow them to see what he sees. Time and time again, those individuals find themselves in positions of loving what they do more than they loved what they did. In the moment of losing their job, they saw trouble, but they clung to the Lord and he put them in a new place and they looked back on what they called trouble and they said, that really wasn't trouble at all. God was just orchestrating something better and I had to hang on long enough to see it. Sometimes we find ourselves in trouble and it's not really the trouble we think it is. But the third reason that we have trouble in our lives is because of the sins of other people. We live in a broken world and the sins of other people touch and affect our lives, often in dramatic ways. And you think about the story of Joshua chapter 7 and Israel's experience in the battle of Ai because of Achan's sin. Achan's sin created trouble for all of Israel. Thirty-six men lost their lives in the battle against Ai because sin was in the camp. That's as many as 36 groups of kids who no longer had their daddy. It's as many as 36 women who lost their husband. That's 36 families who were completely devastated because of another man's sin. And that devastation, devastation sent a shockwave through all of Israel. Joshua chapter 8 is the conclusion of the story of Ai and the people's response to the trouble because of someone else's sin. So let's read Joshua chapter 8 together. We're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to see Joshua chapter 8 in three major scenes. So let's read scene 1 together, verses 1 through 9. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all the troops with you and go to it and attack Ai. Look, I have handed over to you the king of Ai, his people, city, and land. Treat Ai and its king as you did Jericho and its king, except that you may plunder its spoil and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and all the troops set out to attack Ai. Joshua selected 30,000 of his best soldiers, sent them out at night. He commanded them, pay attention, lie in ambush behind the city, not too far from it, and all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. When they come out against us as they did the first time, we will flee from them. They will come after us until we have drawn them away from the city, and they will say they are fleeing from us as before. While we are fleeing from them, you are to come out of your ambush and seize the city. The Lord your God will hand it over to you. After taking the city, set it on fire. Follow the Lord's command. See that you do as I have ordered you. 
So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the ambush site and waited between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But he spent the night with the troops. I want to make a couple of observations related to scene one. First of all, God tells Joshua, don't be afraid or discouraged. The Lord is reminding Joshua, I am with you, and with me is the victory. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't need to be discouraged. The next thing that the Lord does is he gives them the plan. And he talks about creating an ambush. Now, this plan is really interesting because what God is telling the people is, I want you to act like you acted in the first battle against Ai. In the first battle against Ai, they went in there and they got defeated and they ran away in fear. So God tells them, I want you to go back out there and I want you to run away like you were afraid, like you did last time. Only this time, I'm going to give you the city. I think it is marvelous that God takes the trouble that was created for Israel from another person's sin. And he redeems that trouble and he turns it into something else. Isn't that what he does? Now, I got to believe there are some people that were thinking to themselves, I don't have to pretend too much to run away scared. They'd just done that. But what God does, he says, I want all of you. The whole military, all the people, I want you all to run away like you're scared. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the fear of your last failure and I'm going to turn it into the victory of my defeat of Ai. And he totally redeems the story. Isn't that so good of the Lord? Isn't that what he does in our life? Another observation. God tells the people that they can take some of the stuff, the spoils of victory. And if you remember, what got this whole thing started was God told Israel that in the battle against Jericho, they couldn't take any of the stuff. That the stuff belonged to the Lord. And Achan took some of the stuff. Now, in the battle against Ai, in the plan of God, he says you can have some of the stuff. Can't help but think, if only Achan had waited. Achan wanted the stuff. It's not that God didn't want Achan to have the stuff. It's that God wanted Achan to trust him for the desires of his heart. If only Achan had waited. I just think that every time we find ourselves in trouble, we may want God to do something. We may want a remedy for our trouble. We may even decide we're going to pursue a remedy for our trouble. But let me just tell you, God is worth the wait. 
He cares about what you want and what you need. But so many times we want to get ahead of him instead of waiting for him. Because here's the thing. God is the answer in our trouble. Sometimes we've got to wait for him. If only Achan had waited. And then notice that Joshua says to the people, you need to follow the Lord. You need to do everything that I've said you should do. And and that's what they do, but that is the key. I mean, that is the key to the trouble they're in. You want to have an answer in your trouble? Then follow the Lord. Everything depends upon whether or not Israel would follow the command of the Lord. And we're going to see, just listen as we read the rest of the story, how many times you will hear they did the command of the Lord. They read the command of the Lord. They identified the command of the Lord and they did it. There are things described in this story that are so clearly following the command of the Lord that you simply can't say they follow the command of the Lord every time. It's just completely filled with aligning themselves with the command of the Lord. The key in all our trouble is to align ourselves fully with the Lord. Total obedience. Total obedience. All right, scene two, starting in verse 10. Joshua started early the next morning and mobilized them. Then he and the elders of Israel led the troops up to Ai. All those who were with him went up and approached the city, arriving opposite Ai. And they camped to the north of it with a valley between them and the city. Now Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush. This is apparently a reduction in the ambush forces between Bethel and Ai. To the west of the city. The troops were stationed in this way. The main camp to the north of the city. Its rear guard to the west of the city. And that night Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw the Israelites. The men of the city hurried. Went out early in the morning. So that he and all his people could engage Israel in battle. At a suitable place facing the Arabah. But he did not know there was an ambush. Waiting for them behind the city. Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten back by them and fled toward the wilderness. Then all the troops of Ai were summoned to pursue them. They pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel and who did not go out after Israel, leaving the city exposed while they pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out the javelin in your hand toward Ai. For I will give, you, give the city over to you. So Joshua held out his javelin toward it. When he held out his hand, the men in ambush rose quickly from their position. They ran, they entered the city, they captured it, and immediately set it on fire. The men of Ai turned and looked back, and smoke from the city was rising to the sky. They could not escape in any direction, and the troops who had fled to the wilderness now became the pursuers. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city and that smoke was rising from it, they turned back and they struck down the men of Ai. The men in ambush came out of the city against them and the men of Ai were trapped between the Israelite forces, some on one side, some on the other. They struck them down until no survivor or fugitive remained. But they captured the king of Ai alive 
and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing everyone living in Ai who had pursued them into the open country, when every last one of them had fallen by the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the sword. The total of those who fell that day, both men and women, was 12,000, all the people of Ai. Joshua did not draw back his hand that was holding the javelin until all the inhabitants of Ai were completely destroyed. Israel plundered only the cattle and the spoil of that city for themselves, according to the Lord's command that he had given Joshua. Joshua burned Ai and left it a permanent ruin, still desolate today. He hung the body of the king of Ai on a tree until evening, and at sunset Joshua commanded that they take his body down from the tree. They threw it down at the entrance of the city gate and put a large pile of rocks over it, which remains today. couple of observations about scene two. Number one, that's not a fun scene to read. But I am compelled to preach the truth of God's word. There are two major themes here in scene two. One, Joshua is lifting a javelin. You remember Moses in the battle with the Amalekites? And God told Moses to raise the staff and they would experience victory over the Amalekites. And Aaron and her had to come and hold that staff up because the staff had to be lifted up for them to get victory. I'm sure that was a moment in Israel's history when they knew the only reason they ever won anything is because God was with them and with God is the victory. And here we see Joshua holding up a javelin the entire time Victory is being experienced as if to restore to the hearts and minds of Israel that God is with them and with God is the victory. The other major theme in this scene is judgment. If you were to ask me of all the themes in Scripture, I most love to preach, judgment's not one of them. But to leave judgment out of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to change the gospel. And a gospel without judgment is no gospel at all. If there is no judgment, from what shall we be saved? And so I want to remind you that for the people of AI, Genesis 15, 16 tells us that God had extended over four centuries of delay of a judgment that was just and right on a people who had rejected God. And for the people of AI, the window of God's mercy only closed 
when the measure of their sin had reached to the degree that there was nobody who was willing to follow the Lord. And so the mercy of God ran out. And God judged Ai. Someday, the mercy of God will run out for everyone. And so it is imperative while the window of God's mercy is open, we enter God's mercy. They piled up stones over the king of Ai. So after you cross into the promised land over the Jordan, you would find a pile of stones from the crossing of the river Jordan. You would find a pile of stones over Achan and his family, and you would find a pile of stones over the king of Ai. And later, generations from then, families would walk by those stones and little kids would ask mom and dad, why are these stones here? And over this pile of stones, there would be a story told. Generation after generation. And this story would be about a generation who when trouble came because of another's sin, they aligned their lives fully with God. Scene 3. Verse 30. And at that time Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal to the Lord, the God of Israel. Just as Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool has been used. Then they offered burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings on it. There on the stones, Joshua copied the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the Israelites. All Israel, resident, alien, and citizen alike, with their elders, officers, and judges, stood on the other side, on either side of the ark of the Lord's covenant, facing the Levitical priest who carried it. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the Lord's servant, have commanded earlier concerning blessing the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read aloud all the words of the law, the blessings as well as the curses, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before them. The entire assembly of Israel including the women, the dependents, and the resident aliens who lived among them. Before Israel had crossed into the promised land, Moses had commanded all Israel, here's what you're supposed to do when you get there. When you get there, I want you to set up between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Put half the tribes at Mount Ebal, half the tribes in front of Mount Gerizim, and I want you to read all the law, and I want you to renew the covenant You've made before the Lord. What they read out on Mount Ebal is all the blessings if they follow the Lord. What they read out on Mount Gerizim is all the curses and destruction that would come on them if they did not follow the Lord. And everybody on that day stood between those mountains in the very place, Shechem, the very place where Abraham had a conversation with God that all of that land would be his descendants. 
at that very place, after having walked through the trouble of sin, they renewed a covenant. They would follow the Lord with all their hearts. They offered these sacrifices, burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. The burnt offerings would be an animal they would place on the altar as God described it and prescribed it. And it would be an animal that would be burnt and consumed completely. See, the burnt offering was the offering that would remind them and provide for them atonement for their sin. As that offering was completely consumed on the altar, it would remind them that all their sins are absorbed in the mercy of God. They would offer fellowship offerings. The fellowship offerings would be an animal. They would just take portions of it and place it on top of the burnt offering so it would be burnt as a sacrifice to the Lord. But the rest of the fellowship offerings, you know what they would do with that? Moses commanded them, when you get into the land, make fellowship offerings and the portion that you don't sacrifice, you need to cook it up, eat it, and have a celebration. God reminded them, I am with you and in me you have forgiveness of your sin. I am with you and with me you have fellowship. You have communion with me and with one another. In this final scene is the people reading the word of God. Every word of it before everybody was there having this amazing fellowship with God and each other as if to say we have responded to the trouble by aligning our lives totally and completely with you. We will obey you totally. When we have trouble because of somebody else's sin our response needs to be a renewal of our own alignment with God. A surrender to total obedience to Him. That's not easy. And I'm not going to pretend like it is. You think about those 36 families and those 36 widows. And I got to believe that somebody in those 36 families was thinking the question, why didn't God tell us about Achan's sin before it cost me my husband? You know, when trouble comes into our lives because the brokenness of this world, we got questions like that, don't we? You know, you know what Moses told the people during that instructions about Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim? In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, Moses says to the people, the hidden thing, belong to the Lord. But the revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we might follow the Lord forever. I suspect when Moses gave those instructions that God had in mind 
those families. And those widows probably had to accept the fact that the answer to the question, why didn't God tell us before it cost me my husband? But the answer to that question was one of the hidden things. There are just some things that happen in the trouble of this world we're not going to have a full explanation of. And they're going to be hidden things. But here's what God has done. He has revealed enough of who he is and what he's promised that we can choose to cling to him no matter what trouble comes. And one day, he will change our trouble into joy. The best decision those 36 families made was to join the rest of Israel at those altars and yield their lives to fully aligning with God. I want to give you just another quick glimpse into my family. When my mom was a teenager, her stepdad molested her. And that would be repeated for some time. I didn't discover this until many years later in my life. What I saw was that my mom, who became a Christian, right after she got married, made a decision that God was the problem, not the solution. And she decided that she would no longer follow Jesus Christ. And she abandoned following the Lord in some respects because of the trouble of someone else's sin that devastated her life. I don't pretend to understand how my mom felt or what that experience was. But I do know that my mom decided she could find answers away from God. And I want to tell you, she did not find relief. She did not find answers. And one's, one man's sin against her devastated her life. But her own rejection of God being the answer to her trouble further destroyed her life and those around her. I'm grateful to the Lord that years later she decided to come back to Jesus Christ. And she found out in returning to the Lord that he is the answer to all her trouble. So much so that right before her stepdad passed away, he was in the hospital. She made a decision. She called and told me, she goes, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell him I've forgiven him. She walked in that hospital room. She sat down in his bed and she said, I want you to know I've forgiven you and I love you. 
And he in tears said to her, I'm so very sorry. After that, my mom went to those she had hurt and asked for forgiveness. She had no idea than a very short time that she would go home to be with the Lord. And she met her Savior face to face. I can promise you this. Her trouble was trouble no more. One man's sin devastated my mom. And my mom's sin devastated me. But when all of us decided that God was the answer, he took that trouble and he redeemed it for his glory. God is always the answer to our trouble. You know the great news about God being the answer? Is it whether the trouble is because of my sin or the trouble is from somebody else's sin or I don't even know why the trouble is except that I live in a broken world. Every reason for trouble, the same answer applies. I need to realign my life with the Lord and surrender to total obedience. Do you know what the brokenness around us reminds us of? It should remind us of the brokenness in us. I mean, Achan was the big problem for Israel. But, but if you remember, Joshua was the one that said, Lord, you should have just left us in Egypt. What's your problem? I wouldn't think that's the greatest response to the Lord. When the people got to the edge of Ai, what'd they do? We're going to go in and take them out. We only need a few of us. We're going to win this. And it was almost as if they were saying, with or without God, we got this. And they didn't even wait for a plan of God. No doubt that Achan's sin was the big problem, but the brokenness around us should really remind us of the brokenness in us. And that means that the answer to all our trouble is aligning our lives with Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. You need to write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. This is the pattern that needs to be displayed in our lives when we find ourselves in trouble. This is the pattern we see in this story in Joshua 7 and 8. I want to read this passage to you. Verse 10 and 11, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you. What desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you showed yourselves to be pure, to be innocent in this matter. When trouble comes into your life... That's the pattern you're after right there. Whether it's your sin or somebody else's sin, 
This is the pattern you're after. If you're in trouble today because of your sin, this is what repentance looks like after you confess your sin to the Lord. If somebody else's sin affects your life, this is the pattern of your realignment with the Lord. I, 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 will, I will never forget the last friend of mine just a few years ago who decided to leave his wife and his kids and run off and create a new family and abandon the Lord. Incredibly hurtful to so many of us who walked through that. It's one of my very close friends. And I want to tell you, I was so sorrowful when that happened. This is the pattern. I see his sin and I feel the sorrow of the brokenness and devastation in my own heart as a result of his sin. What should I do? I, I, I should desire to clear myself. The brokenness around me reminds me of the brokenness in me. Lord, I want to be pure in my own heart. I want to be devoted to you. I don't want to, to be wayward and drift away from your plans. I want to be zealous for righteousness. I want to fear the devastation of sin. I want to be angry over any element of sin in my life that could pull me away and devastate others. I want the justice of your mercy and work in me. And I want to make sure I'm innocent in this matter. I want to respond to the trouble by realigning my life totally with you. God is the answer. And as long as the window of mercy is open, we better be climbing in it. You notice at the end of Joshua chapter 8, you heard the word resident alien. Maybe in your translation it says foreigner. You know who those people are? This is Rahab and all her family. This is, this is people from Egypt that said, we'd rather be serving the God of Israel than the gods of Egypt. And they packed up and they went with Israel. This might even be some of the people in the promised land that we just don't have a record of that were just like Rahab. Isn't it amazing that when God wanted this story told, he wanted the last line of this story to include resident aliens. You know why? Because God is always holding open a window of mercy for anyone who wants to follow Him. And until His mercy runs out, that window is open for you. Trust the Lord. You will not be disappointed. He is worth the wait.